Welcome to the Evidence-Based Chiropractor, where each week we deliver the latest chiropractic research and marketing strategies, all in the time it takes to get to your office. Now here's your host, Dr. Jeff Langmaid. Hello and welcome to the Evidence-Based Chiropractor. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Langmaid. This week we are back with research and it is an interesting study and it is going to spur many more studies and it is all around the association between clinical findings and the presence of lumbar spine osteoarthritis and this is a systematic review that just came out hot off the press this month we're going to talk about it break down the clinical pearls and highlight why this is the beginning of the story not the end of the story when we are associating clinical findings and osteoarthritis before we get started i want to say a few things about patient pilot by the smart chiropractor we recently launched daily reactivation reports that means we send emails weekly you receive daily reports of the patients ready to reactivate in your practice if you would like to see that data then come on board. Schedule a demo. Head over to thesmartchiropractor.com. I'll drop a link down below. Schedule a demo again at thesmartchiropractor.com. We send emails weekly. We generate for you daily reactivation reports so you can see exactly who the patients are ready to reactivate into your practice so that you can generate as many reactivations as possible. And if you have hundreds, if not thousands of people on an email list that you're doing nothing with, not only are you going to make me cry, but you are also missing out on a massive opportunity to build your practice and generate reactivations with the people that already know, like, and trust you. So click down below, schedule a demo at thesmartchiropractor.com for patient pilot in our new daily reactivation reports. But as I said at the top on today's episode, we're focusing on research. This came out in the Osteoarthritis Research Society International Journal called Osteoarthritis and Cartilage. I'll drop a link down below. And the title is Association Between Clinical Findings and the Presence of Lumbar Spine Osteoarthritis Imaging Features, a Systematic Review. And they basically, Systematic Review is looking back at a whole host of studies that have been previously documented and published to say, what do we know based upon the available evidence? That's what it's all about. And the objective here was to really hone in on what are these findings and features that have a high degree of probability or a high degree of evidence behind them so that we can start to better understand what's going on. And what when I say that, here's what I mean by it. Spinal osteoarthritis is really difficult to study and diagnose because there's no agreement on the diagnostic criteria. Now, as a chiropractor, you might listen to that and say, I see osteoarthritis on my images all day, every day. As a matter of fact, most images when it's above a 30 year old, I see some form of osteoarthritis. You're 100% correct, but that does not mean that everybody else on planet Earth agrees. And in the research world, there is absolutely no agreement on the diagnostic criteria. It's all over the place. So we are coached and trained and taught as chiropractors to look for things like osteophytes, to look for degenerative changes, to look for modic changes, to look for all of these items that we associate with osteoarthritis. Well, this paper is going to take a look and say, well, is that actually true or not based upon the available evidence? And that is what this research study attempted to do. So unlike a peripheral joint or an extremity like the knee or the hip, which has very specific diagnostic criteria, it's probably some, it's, it might be surprising to you. It's kind of surprising to me to learn that there actually is no diagnostic criteria for spinal spinal osteoarthritis. And it, this makes it really, really unclear of how and when back pain may be reflective of symptomatic osteoarthritis. Again, 
many times we sort of lump these things in and if we see findings on a film, degenerative changes, and we see the patients in pain and their nonspecific low back pain, we kind of assume that there's an osteoarthritis component going on. But there's not really clear evidence in the research as far as how do these things play together. And one of the things that they highlight early on in this study is that there may be separate definitions necessary for structural or symptomatic spinal osteoarthritis, which starts to make sense as we just previously discussed. There's a structural component, which is what are you actually seeing on the image, whether it's causing symptomatology or not. And we all know, we've seen many of people, I'm sure in practice, that have low pain, crazy findings on images and you know high pain and almost no findings on images. And we know that imaging plays a role in understanding what's going on. But it's not a great diagnostic tool um, for pain. It's a great diagnostic tool to understand what's going on structurally, but not for pain. And that's why they're saying right here, hey, separate definitions for structure and symptomatic osteoarthritis might be necessary. And I agree with that. Now, a consensus was previously reached on the following clinical features that could suggest spinal osteoarthritis and specifically symptomatic osteoarthritis. And that is spinal pain duration, spinal pain intensity, limitations in physical functioning, and self-reported spinal morning stiffness. So those are the things in the, that a consensus has been reached previously about symptomatic spinal osteoarthritis. Gosh, that's a mouthful. And to date, there's been no systematic reviews, which this seems insane to me, but there's been no systematic reviews that have comprehensively investigated the association of clinical features suggesting symptomatic osteoarthritis with imaging features on whether it be a lumbar radiograph, an MRI, or a CT scan. So this study is the first to kind of take a look and say what's out there in the literature and what's going on. So when they first started looking, they found over nearly 14,000 studies. And after they got rid of duplicates, there's about 8,000 left. As you can imagine, that got pared down pretty quickly. And 30 studies were included for this systematic review. The age range of the patients, kind of all over the place, 21 years old to 74 years old. So pretty wide spattering there in terms of ages of patients. And let's dive into some of what they found. They found high quality evidence for the association between longitudinal, how long it goes on, low back intensity, and both disc space narrowing and osteophytes. So this ties in probably, this starts to make a lot of sense as a chiropractor say, okay, I get that, right? So that, that makes a lot of sense and they found high quality evidence suggesting it. I get, I'm gonna not discuss what they found, no evidence, low quality evidence. I'm really just gonna highlight the high quality evidence and the moderate quality evidence because that really is suggestive of what they're after. So one of the things that they were after, one of the things that they found was, hey, high quality evidence, longitudinal association when there's a long-term uh, low back pain intensity, we expect to see disc space narrowing and osteophytes, makes sense to me. They also found high quality evidence for the association between low back pain related physical limitations and lumbar disc degeneration, which also makes sense. When somebody has long-term uh, limita physical limitations and degeneration, they saw that there was a correlative there, maybe not causative one way or the other, but correlative, they might, they might be causing each other, but those things are correlative with a high degree of certainty. 
They found moderate quality evidence of a positive association between low back pain duration and modic changes. So the longer that the duration went of low back pain, the more likely there were to be modic changes. Now, we've discussed modic changes, actually done a few modic changes presentations to a variety of surgeons in the past. And the interesting thing about modic changes is like a bell-shaped curve. Early on, there's like a ton of pain and not much finding on an MRI. The middle of the road is where you start to see, you know, pain come at the crescendo and then things, you know, solidify, so to speak. And on the backside of modic changes, you start to see really less pain, but you start to see abject findings. So that's really what I see as the bell-shaped curve or the hierarchy of modic changes. And long story short is when we have long back pain, uh, long duration of low back pain, it's very common that we see an increased likelihood of modic changes. There also is moderate quality evidence of an association between low back pain intensity and lumbar de disc degeneration and annular tears. So again, this starts to speak, I think, to us as chiropractors saying, okay, yep, I've seen that before. I've seen that show. So low back pain intensity, and I see this tremendous, I've saw this so much in practice and still see it today to a certain degree, which is annular tears can really, really, it's like an annular tear, in my opinion, goes one way or the other. You either find an annular tear on an image and the person's like, ah, I feel great, no problem. Or you see an annular tear and they're in like such ridiculously abject pain. These are some of the things that I've just seen. It's like feast or famine, no pain or crazy amounts of pain. And they kind of highlight that here by saying there is an association between low back pain intensity and annular tears, as well as degenerative changes. So when you are looking at some of these images, I hope this now is coming into focus. It is, you know, technique aside, looking at the images is not for not, essentially, you're able to really be able to understand what's going on. And you can, uh, let me better say that, you can expect to see some things on imaging based upon the clinical presentation of the patient. Now, I'm not talking about whether or whether or not you should shoot imaging. That's a co different conversation. But when imaging is a present, present and available, you can infer some things that you might see and look for based upon what's going on with the patient. And a high degree of pain increases the opportunity that you're going to find degenerative changes and potentially annular tears. They also found a high quality evidence uh, association between spinal morning stiffness and disc space narrowing. Makes total sense to me. As a disc space narrows and the instantaneous axis of rotation migrates posteriorly as we age, facets get loaded, and bottom line is that's going to make things stiff. I think we've all, you know, maybe, maybe I'll speak for myself and say, gosh, I've experienced that personally. So there is no question that we see that all the time as chiropractors. So this was the first systematic review that comprehensively investigated these associations between clinical features suggesting symptomatic osteoarthritis and imaging features. And I think there were some probably obvious take-homes, but they're important to have documented, especially in a peer-reviewed systematic review. So they found, if I tidy this up, they found high-quality evidence for the longitudinal association between low back pain intensity and both disc space narrowing and osteophytes. They found an association between low back pain-related physical limitations and lumbar disc degeneration and the presence of spinal morning stiffness and disc space narrowing. And that is what they found. Uh, so those are big take-home messages because to me, this substantiates in many ways what we see all day, every day on images. And we kind of know to be true as chiropractors, but the, maybe the most surprising aspect was that it had never been documented in a systematic review. 
and they kind of come to a conclusion statement here. It's going to sound a lot like what I just described, but I'll read it verbatim. Quote, in conclusion, we found high quality evidence for the longitudinal association between low back pain intensity and both disc space narrowing and osteophytes, as well as for the association between low back pain related physical limitation and lumbar disc degeneration, the presence of spinal morning stiffness and disc space narrowing, and for the lack of association between physical limitation and Schmorl's nodes. End quote. Schmorl's nodes, if you remember, it is uh, typically asymptomatic and it is technically what they call invagination of the disc into the vertebral body so when you see those it almost looks like a puzzle piece is the only way i can describe it like a notch in a puzzle piece if you see a vertebra that has a big notch near the end plate that's indicative of a schmorl's node that's the best way i can describe it and schmorl's nodes are usually asymptomatic they don't really cause a big challenge now i have seen schmorl's nodes that are so large it compromises the integrity of the vertebra and the patient ends up having a um a fracture as a result a compression fracture as a result of the schmorl's node basically just diminishing the integrity that's pretty rare though i've only seen a few of those and i've, I've looked at tens of thousands literally tens of thousands of images so I've, it's pretty rare, but it does happen every now and again. But generally, they're asymptomatic, and they say, hey, there's no association between physical limitations and Schmorl's nodes, which makes sense. If they're asymptomatic, when they're not to the point that they're causing a vertebral body collapse, they don't really cause any issues. And quite frankly, you don't know you have them unless you take the image and take a peek, at which point it becomes an incidental finding. So... I found this study to be really intriguing just for the fact that it hadn't been done before, <laughs> but also that they kind of outline many of the things that we see as we look at pictures and images in our practice, but had, had never been properly documented before. So as you're going through your evaluations with patients this week, this, you know, this month, this year and beyond, uh, you know, understanding what their intensity levels are from a low back pain perspective can really inform what you expect to see on the images. And the more that we can correlate these things, in my opinion, the better. The body is like super dynamic as it is. So anytime we can find correlation or set expectations is a really good thing because there's many things with our bodies and the dynamics of how we heal that are not A plus B equals C. But when we can find things that start to line up, that start to make sense, that start to provide us a roadmap as a clinician to what's going on with the patient, that's great because it enables us to be more specific with our decision-making and less wide open. And hey, there's a time to be wide open and try a variety of things and see what works. No question about that. But man, for what I'm going to call traditional cases of low back pain, where there's no radiculopathy, especially when it is you know, especially when there's no radiculopathy, especially when it is nonspecific, being able to line things up in a manner that provides a roadmap that is predictable helps not only with clinical decision making, but it also helps with your patient communication. Because when you can set proper expectations for a patient, and I can tell you, if you expect to see something, you don't want to do this and uh, end up end up on the wrong side of the road, so to speak. But when when you can let a patient know what you expect to see on an image, and then they see the image and it's there man, you look like a complete superstar. So it looks like it looks like magic practically to a patient that doesn't know, well, when when I hear this, I expect to see this. And those start to become really great opportunities to focus your communication and build your trust. So that's the big take home messages from today's 
episode, on today's episode, and from this research paper. Of course, I'll drop a link to it down in the show notes. And before we wrap up, if you are looking to uh, build your practice and grow it this year, and what I mean by that is with your team, and that's the only way you build and grow ultimately, is by having a great team underneath you. So if you are hiring a new CA, if you are hiring a new associate DC, or if you are a lone wolf, and maybe not, maybe you're a large practice, but you're not ready to add on a full CA, use a virtual CA. Virtual CAs are totally trained up. They're awesome. They give you an opportunity to save a lot of money because they can be about 70% less of the cost than an in-office CA. So anything that is can be trained upon, so to speak, and repeated, a virtual CA can do. So reach out to Cairo Matchmakers if you're in any of those boats, Associate DC, CA, virtual CA, reach out to Kyra Matchmakers, schedule a call. Our team can help you find the right person the first time, which helps accelerate your progress. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a chiropractor. I will talk to you next week and have a fantastic week in practice. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Evidence-Based Chiropractor. If you want to grow your practice, come back for next week's episode. If you want to grow faster, visit the evidencebasedchiropractor.com and join our MD Marketing membership today.